0: Microphone check, one, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check, good, sounds good. One, two, three, rolling,
1: and. Good idea, they're all over the place. An idea is nothing unless you expand it to an audience that you've got control of. And if you bring that audience with you, that's what crowdfunding can do. It opens up that audience. My question is, how many are gonna put up 10 bucks a piece? Guarantee it's gonna be about 10% tops. That's your audience, that 10%, because the, the audience is the ones that are willing to pay for the creation of artwork. And documentary film is artwork. So that shows a distributor that they can bank on that audience to buy whatever they're gonna pedal, that they're gonna make money off of on the filmmaker.
0: Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode 104, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life Podcast, and the Doc Lifer Elite Mastermind Group. It is around 8 in the morning, and we've just finished up our breakfast in the town of Kaba, which is located in the province of Takéo, a province often referred to as the Cradle of Cambodian Civilization, as several Pre-Angorian sites were erected there between the 5th and 8th century. Now it's mostly used for agricultural purposes, and contains some of the biggest duck populations, and finest tasting fruits in all of Cambodia. It also happens to be where we will first officially begin filming again on our dock project, Elvis of Cambodia. For it is outside of this town in a small commune called Chumnik, where we will be filming Cambodian radio DJ, YouTube sensation, and writer Seng Dara. He and his family will all be celebrating the Chinese New Year. Seng Dara is a well-known Phnom Penh celebrity who is a self-professed expert on, among other things, Cambodian music and cinema in particular he has an extraordinary love for Sin Si Samut the most famous of all Cambodian singers and someone who just so happens to be at the heart of our film i am accompanied by friend and colleague a yogi photographer and drone operator extraordinaire a french iranian by the name of patrick ferousian who i've known since around the time that we started this project when i first randomly although I've since learned there are a few things in life that are completely random, especially when it comes to your dog passion projects, when I came across his Vimeo account and was taken by his extraordinary aerials of parts of Cambodia that I had never really seen so strikingly from that vantage point. I reached out to him and he quickly responded to me, and we took up some correspondence and I told him about our current dog project. And he allowed me to use some of his drone footage for a fundraising party that we'd held in Portland, Oregon, the summer before leaving for first filming in Cambodia. Which is the sort of thing I would come to know about Patrick. He was not only a passionate person who enjoyed delving into photography and dock filmmaking, but he was a very generous and genuine person. But how else to best describe this man? Well, I suppose I could paint a picture of when we first met in the flesh, which was back in 2014, and Steph, Flynn, and I had been living in Cambodia for a couple of months. I think at the time, Patrick had just started renting his place up in Siem Reap, where the famous Angkor temples are located, and he was coming through Phnom Penh on some business, and he was meeting up with me at a nice little Indonesian spot near the Russian market. When he first walked in, I didn't recognize him. The only photos that I'd been able to find of him were on a LinkedIn page that he had, and it was of some smartly dressed fellow, maybe in his 30s, and he was instructing a room full of people. If you looked at his resume, he had many years in impressive positions in very cool locations working in the tech industry. But what I saw walk into the cafe that day was far removed from this suit-wearing, closely cropped haircut tech industry man that I'd seen on the internet in strode a just slightly hunched over man, maybe in his mid to late 40s, wearing a t-shirt and mid-length loose pants and sandals. And he wore a large square backpack, which is how I guessed that it was probably him, since it looked to me that there could be drone or camera gear in that bag. He walked right over and introduced himself to me.
1: Hey, Sok You must be
0: Chris. He had a particular energy about himself, this man from France and Iran, who I would learn had spent several years working in the tech industry in California, then China, until he could take the tech industry no longer, and decided to move on from that life, and had been traveling and volunteering and learning the craft of photography and now filmmaking for a number of years. Which brings us back to Prekabat. Where we've been unsuccessful in our attempts to find a tuk-tuk or taxi that will take us to chumnik village to film with sang dara and his family which by the way in itself is a very extraordinary thing that we couldn't find a tuk-tuk or a taxi in a town in cambodia i'm not sure that i'd ever experienced that sort of thing to be honest generally if you needed to be taken somewhere you just found your way to the town center or a market and you could find where all of the tuk-tuk's motos or taxis were located And there were none that would take us anywhere. Apparently there wasn't that much of a need for a taxi or tuk-tuk service in town. Even the few that we actually saw driving through town couldn't be convinced to take us into Chumnik. After all, they were busy. It was Chinese New Year. And so this is how we ended up back at our guest house talking to the owner, a Chinese Cambodian in his late 30s who spoke a bit of English. And between Patrick and I, we could fashion enough Khmer language to bridge any gap in his English. And we asked him about taxis and tuk-tuks in town. He just shook his head, and he told us what we'd already discovered for ourselves. There was no such thing in the town. Which was about the time that we spotted his older, white Toyota Camry under the makeshift garage. And about the time that he told us that if he hadn't already had plans for the day, he could have taken us out to Chumnik himself which was when Patrick's eyes lit up and he looked over at me I immediately knew what he was thinking because I was thinking the same thing An hour and a half later, after making copies of our passports, and after going to the governmental office to re-up his car insurance which had lapsed earlier in the year, and after we'd agreed to pay for fuel and $20 a day for the rental, our Cambodian friend waved goodbye. As we drove away in his car, on our way to (laughs) Chumnik. It is now just after an amazing lunch that the Sang family has put on for the new year. The lunch consisted of delicious chicken and veggie curries, braised cow and morning glory, rice, and lots and lots of Angkor beer, one of the staples of the much revered lager industry in Cambodia. My country, my beer is their slogan. Every time I come to Cambodia, I purchase one of their t-shirts that proudly proclaims this. Roughly every 30 seconds or so, someone from the family raises their glass and cheers us, to which we all have to respond with a healthy gulp, which then results in someone refilling our glass of beer and ice. Because that's how they roll here in Cambodia. Ice with your beer. I mean, how else to keep your cool in this oppressively hot and humid climate? We'd already been filming for a couple of hours, mostly things like the prep for the day, you know, lots of cooking shots, lots of women putting on their makeup and doing their hair, lots of Sengdara walking around and greeting family and friends from the commune. Speaking of, there's one particular moment where we're walking down the dirt village road, filming Sengdara greeting people, when we walk past a big sign in the front of someone's house on stilts. Sengdara looks back at Patrick and I incredulously. He points at a sign, and a familiar face of Sinsi Samut is painted next to a few big words in Khmer. Sangdara translates to us that it reads, The reincarnation of Sinsi Samut lives here. Two things immediately enter my mind. One, I thought that Sangdara was basically the reincarnate of Sinsi Samut. And two, how did Sangdara not know that this reincarnation of Cambodian's most famous singer had been living roughly 1,000 meters from where he grew up? I made a mental note to make sure that we all return to this place later on and ask about this reincarnation. Anyhow, I digress. And I accept another cheers and gulp down a little more beer. And I look over at Patrick, who is already starting to dance with three of Sengdara's sisters. And I think to myself, damn it, we're still gonna need to be able to film more this afternoon. Sengdara catches my eye and he sees me glance over to my camera, which is off to the side. He smiles and responds by raising his glass to me. Don't worry Mr. Chris, we will do more filming. And we will meet the second Sin Samut later. But now, we will make the big booms for Chinese New Year. It's just before 5pm and we've packed the car with all of our gear, said our thank yous and goodbyes to Sengdara and his family, and we're driving back through the countryside on our way back to the guesthouse. About halfway there, we are approaching a longish bridge that spans over a very wide section of the river. There are probably a hundred or so young Cambodians and food vendors lining the road and bridge. The little plastic tables and chairs are filled with people festively eating and drinking, oblivious to the thousands of mosquitoes descending upon them, and oblivious to the fact that they're basically in the middle of a road and bridge, hanging out and having a rocking good time. There was barely a lane to navigate the Camry through, and vehicles were seriously backed up at least a couple of hundred meters before the bridge. Which was when Patrick's eyes lit up, and he looked over at me. I immediately knew what he was thinking because I was thinking the same thing. He pulls the car over, he grabs his still cameras, I grab mine, and we make our way into the throng of people who are already raising their glasses and cheering us as we snap their photos. My heart swelled from the day. These were the experiences that I lived for. As Patrick looked back at me, smiling, saluting me with what looked to be some fried mysterious meat on a stick, I smiled back, happy and safe in the knowledge that this person, who I'd not so randomly met a few years ago on the internet, was going to be my companion for the next month. As we made a documentary film together. You have just listened to part four of our Chris in Cambodia series. To see some accompanying stills and video clips of the Chinese New Year's celebration in Chumnik, or if you need to catch up on any of the earlier episodes, all that you need to do is go to our website at thedocumentarylife.com. Next up on TDL, we'll hear from our latest Doc Lifer story. And then after that, our conversation with a special documentary industry guest. That's all coming up next on The Documentary Life. Something I wanted to mention before continuing on with today's show. You've probably noticed that we're playing around with some pretty cool fresh sounds on this season of TDL. And I'd like to thank Musicvine for supplying us with those cool fresh sounds. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about how Musicvine might be able to serve your doc project, you can check out the show notes for today's episode, or you can simply go to their website at musicvine.com. In the spirit of connectivity and togetherness of the documentary filmmaking world, which is the essence of why we started the TDL podcast, we are bringing you stories from doc lifers, doc filmmakers like you and I from around the world. If you're interested in contributing your story to doc lifers stories, we'd love to hear from you. Simply write to us at chris at barongfilms.com. Your contribution will help to foster the TDL mission of building a supportive and networked community of doc filmmakers throughout the world. Julie McElmurray has been making films since 2015, when she came across a Facebook ad for a $1,000 grant for someone to tell stories that she'd already been telling with her trusty Canon Vixia camcorder for quite a while. She would end up getting the grant, and the rest is, as they say, dock life or history. Steph and I know Julie from hosting a workshop at Julie's school in Charlotte, the Charlotte Unconventional Film School. Of course, she has been a listener of the program since the early days of the show, She is also an inspiring and active member of one of our masterminds, the Doclifer Elite Mastermind Group. In her Doclifer story, Julie had some great advice for anyone starting their first documentary or were struggling to complete their project. And it happens to be a topic that we certainly champion here on the show. Julie spoke of community, and this is what she had to say. If you are struggling to complete your film, reach out. Find another Doclifer and tell them you need to talk about this. Have some written or spoken, if possible in person, exchange with them, and ask them for some encouragement and support. Maybe they can help keep you accountable. Maybe they can help you realize that you simply are weary of certain aspects of the process, and those can be outsourced. Maybe they can help you recognize that while you thought the film should be about A, it turns out you're more interested in B. Making a documentary is making art, so it is a struggle and can be very emotional at times. It can cause us to feel the nagging presence of the resistance, as Steven Pressfield refers to it, that feeling of insecurity that threatens to stop us from our work. Talking with someone who gets it always helps. Thanks for that, Julie. I think a lot of us can appreciate those words. To learn more about Julie's or story, you can read hers and many others simply by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash blog. And we'd love to hear about your own or story, so please visit our website to learn how you might share yours with us. Or you can always email us at stephanie at barongfilms.com and she will help you submit your story. I'm excited to welcome onto the documentary life today, John Trigonis. Uh, John is somebody who I've wanted to have on the program for quite some time. His name is probably familiar with a number of you listeners out there, as he is the the man that has become very synonymous with crowdfunding. And uh, obviously, crowdfunding is a very, very important part of the doc filmmaker's life these days. John, welcome to the program. Excited to have you with us here today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Uh, very excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. And John, I'll say at the outset, I didn't realize your involvement in film, though I wasn't surprised at all. I uh, I found that you have an IMDb page, and there were a number of short films listed there that you were involved in in many aspects of writing and directing and, and even acting and, and certainly producing. And a lot of this was in the early to mid parts of the 2000s. I imagine this part of your journey perhaps leads you to to dipping into crowdfunding and how that may have started, started with you. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, if you could share that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was, I was doing uh, indie film for a while, which, which wasn't my, uh, wasn't necessarily my immediate passion. My main passion is writing. That's right. Um, but, uh, but back, back then I had a buddy, well, I still have him, um, buddy named Alan Aguilar who wanted to be a filmmaker but he wasn't very good at the writing. He wasn't comfortable with it. So we teamed up. And, uh, you know, basically that just started a relationship that led to somehow me getting involved in actually doing some of the directing. And, and then I started doing editing and, and then t- take little cameo roles here and there as an actor. Uh, so it was just like, you know, it was just fun, good times and, and a bunch of good guys just getting together. It was a reason to get together uh, at first. But then you slowly realize that, this is an expensive uh, way to get together, you know, you <laughs> right. go out to dinner, you know, watch a movie and you're spending like, ex- ex- exponentially less money yes. than it takes to make a film just, you know, for the sake of getting together. Oh, so, well,
0: especially in, in where you are, you're in, you're in Jersey or New York, right?
1: Yeah. I'm Jersey city, which is literally, I have yeah. a view of Manhattan. That's so right. It's right there. Yeah. And, and it's, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely more expensive here than, than say somewhere in the Midwest uh, of the country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, but yeah, that's um, that's kind of ultimately what led me to to the crowdfunding world. So I was about to do my, I think it was my eighth short film, a film called Cerise, mm. and I had done it the same way that I do every film. I save up my money. Back then, I was t- teaching uh, as a professor at a bunch of universities, mm. and uh, just kind of saving the money, you know, foregoing vacations and stuff like that to make yeah. movies. Yeah. And I saved up about ten thousand dollars, and then I had just gotten into Twitter. And I found people were like, you know, it was crazy to me at the time, asking for money on Twitter through these platforms, Mm. you know, Indiegogo, Kickstarter. And Mm. I was like, what the hell? People are actually asking for money and and there's other people that there's people giving money. (laughs) So Honestly, I thought it was a bunch of BS. Yeah. And I kind of set out to disprove it. You know, like no nobody's gonna give me money. No stranger's gonna give me money for my little dinky short film. Oh you know? wow! <laughs> so, but I figured, hey, if I'm wrong, well, then that's an extra five thousand dollars. It's a great way to, to be $68. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so win-win, right? And uh, well, it was definitely a win—a uh, win, a one-sided win. Uh, yeah. I did raise money. And, uh, so I raised about $5,000. That was the goal that I set. I raised that in about a, uh, no, I think it was two months. I raised that. Yeah. It's very hard work. And then I stopped for the next month. We had uh, back then you could do like three month long campaigns, which thank God those aren't around anymore. Yeah. uh, Well, what
0: what were you doing your campaign on? Did you have your own platform or were you doing it on one of the established ones?
1: I I did it on Indiegogo because, um, my mentality was, Hey, if I get 5,000 cool, if I get a thousand. Cool. Yeah. Um. You know, and they and they have that option where you get to keep the money. That's right. Uh. Whatever you raise. So yeah, I did it on Indiegogo. Later on, I did a second um series of what I called crusades for marketing money for the film, yeah. and I did that on my own website through a PayPal button, and definitely that came with its own kind of issues. I raised a good amount of money. But it was just, you know, platforms like Indiegogo, Kickstarter, Seed and Spark, they're built for this stuff mm. to also play to the psychology factor of backers yeah. where a PayPal button on your website is just, you know, a passive donation, mm. active contribution and, and call to action. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. But I, um, but I, I ended up raising the 5,000. Um, and then I didn't promote it all for the next month. And I somehow raised an additional $1,300 just by having the campaign up on Indiegogo, which again is reason to use a platform. It's like they have access to a wider audience that we might not have access to. Right. And as as you do your part, as you know you raise your money from your friends and family first ultimately you kind of earn the the merit you might get on in, in a newsletter you might get on a homepage and then that opens you up to a wider audience and right that's where crowdfunding really kind of works well, you know long, long story short i i i didn't disprove it i i raised some money <laughs> and and it was you know it was a really humbling experience mm. because it taught me one of the most valuable lessons about crowdfunding that is not It is not about the funding, it is about the crowd. And if you engage that crowd properly, Mm. they will give you everything, including their money. And it was, uh so I always say like money's the byproduct of a good crowdfunding campaign.
0: Well, and, and and that's great, John. It's a great sort of starter for us into this whole discussion. So I want you to hang on to that thought. Yeah, um, please. Because I, I do want to get back to that, this idea of en- the importance of engaging with your audience. I know the name. I know you, John Trigonis, initially from probably back in, I think it was 2014 or 15 when we first when we ran our, our our campaign for our current uh, doc project Elvis of Cambodia and mm. and we decided to kind of you know throw caution to the wind and at the time we were in my wife and I were in Portland Oregon where I'd been living for years and the biggest Cambodian american population in the US is down in Long Beach California and we basically You know, kind of like I said, threw caution to the wind and said, "You know what? Let's take the next six weeks. Let's go down and base our operations down in Long Beach, and let's take a and we'll we'll put a thirty-day campaign up on Kickstarter, and uh, Mm -hmm. we'll get ourselves back to Cambodia to 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 continue filming on, on on the dock." and one of the basically the bible for that was your book crowdfunding for filmmakers the way to a successful film campaign now at the time Amazing. john there were a number of books out there there were a number of youtube videos that people were sharing there were there were blogs that you could check there were many ways to do to research crowdfunding campaigns but this book for whatever reason and i don't know if it's because we had searched on the internet a bit and, and read some reviews but it really sort of stood out as a as a potential uh, a book for us to really to really have and once we did we used it every day throughout that campaign and uh, well a tip a, a tip of, of our hat to you and and a thank you four or five years later for that by the way you I know happy know. to say that we were successful in raising our 20 grand and your book was mm-hmm. a big big part of that how and why did this book happen for you
1: Wow. Well, first of all, Chris, thank you for for all of that. I'm, I am so glad that my book was was such a, a an, an asset for you guys. That that really makes me immensely happy right it, now.
0: It, it was big time, man.
1: Cool. Thank you. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, you know, it's funny. So right after I ran the Cerise campaign, I, I had a lot of people reaching out to me, like you know. Hey, how did you do this? You know, even Indiegogo reached out to me back then to, uh, they had me do like a, uh, a video, my fiance, Marinelle and I kind of, we kind of worked on the campaign together. Mm. They had us do like a, a video of the two of us talking about like what worked, what didn't work, what advice would we give? Yeah. So I put out a few things as much as possible, but people still kept on getting in touch, which was great, but I'm, at, at that point, you know, I was, I was working as a professor and I was working on my writing at the same time. Yeah. So I didn't really feel the need to like, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'm going to do this as a business and charge people to, to hear me talk. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm going to give advice because that's what you got to do. People mm-hmm. are asking, let me, let me do what I can. Um, because I didn't have to worry, you know, I was like, you know, I was surviving just fine. Yeah. And, but, uh, I didn't really notice it, but Marino noticed it, that I was uh, spending more and more time talking to other people about their creative projects and their campaigns specifically yeah. that I wasn't working as much on my own. And, then she joking, I jokingly said to her, "Well, what am I supposed to do, darling? Write a book about it?" <laughs> and then she looked at me dead serious in the face and said, "Yeah, why not?"
0: Yeah, yeah. What are you so, waiting for?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, you know what? I never thought of it. So let me. And then I decided, let me let me pitch the idea to uh, on Twitter. There there happened to be like an agent following me um, who a good friend of mine, Tyler Weaver, uh, published with a, a company called um, Focal Press. Mm, of so course. Said, Reach out to this person, yeah, and since she's following me, and see if they're interested in the idea of a book on crowdfunding for films specifically. Yeah, I reached out; they definitely were. She g- gave me through, and this is through Twitter, which is why I love Twitter so much, even now to a point. <laughs> yeah. um, Back then it was different. Um, That's right. But she reached, she sent me like an email address. Said reach out to this. This is our editor in chief. You know, send him the proposal. So I wrote the proposal, sent it to him. And they got back to me kind of right away, but they said they want to do a little bit of research. Sure. And in my head, I was like, um, all we got to do is just go on any, just <laughs> Google crowdfunding one time and you'll see that this is going to be the big thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and this was 2011. So okay, it wasn't yeah. just hitting. So then I I decided to go directly to their competition, Michael weesey Productions. Of course. And they we've had Michael me, on the program. And, oh yeah. They're, oh God, those guys, they're, they're all great. Ken and Michael, they're. Yeah, I mean, I I constantly thank them for for giving me the chance to to do this and believing in this book, because literally, like, within a week, I I, like, within a day, me and Ken got on the phone, and I basically didn't realize that I was pitching him the book on the phone. I thought I was having a conversation. Yeah. And then within the end of that week, I had a signed contract, you know, and started writing it. Six months later, the book was done, and then I think it came out in, I want to say, June of 2013, I think it came out. And then, yeah, it uh, and then from there, it just, you know, kind of, kind of, it helped me because it freed me up, but I still had to like be the crowdfunding guy on Twitter, on Facebook, all over promoting the book yeah. um, and doing all that. But it was, it was definitely a lot easier because now people had one volume, at least filmmakers, they had one volume where they could go. It was roughly inexpensive and, and they could learn everything they need to do. They don't have to spend a lot of time Googling. The only thing they'd have to Google is additional examples from the ones that I included in the book. Right, right. Because you always want to Google more, and more recent stuff. So if the book's two years old, it's still relevant. The advice the advice is totally relevant. Oh, yeah. But you want to look at the newer campaigns as well that a book just, you know, we can't do.
0: <laughs> now that you say that, I think that that was the thing for us. You know, there were a number of books about crowdfunding, perhaps, even at, at that time. Mm-hmm. But this was clearly directly, you know, it was crowdfunding for filmmakers. And so that, you know, jumped off the page for us, obviously. Nice. And that's the beauty of it. It's all about, it's all for filmmakers. That being yep. said, It's interesting, John, my sort of no empirical data behind me to support this feeling is that for whatever reason, doc films tend to be a little more successful in crowdfunding than perhaps feature narratives or shorts. And I don't know if this is true or not. This is just my gut feeling. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us
1: a little bit about that? Is that true or not? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. And I I think it is true, um, just based on the current trends. Like right now, whether whatever you're looking at whether you're looking at even Netflix and Hulu and Amazon or you're looking at indie stuff people are making more documentaries because the general public are more interested in real people yeah. than yeah. they are fictionalized versions of real people yeah yeah so i think that's playing a huge role in how successful they are i just i went through my um you know some of like my my campaigns that i worked on in the past from like life itself to uh the the deep space 9 documentary a couple, couple of my favorite documentaries totally ones. and and even without like going through each one it was kind of like i'm looking at how many there are as opposed to how many 100,000 let's say you know just looking on the high end of numbers campaigns that have raised in the hundreds of thousands yeah. there's definitely a lot more documentaries that have raised that kind of money than there are in narrative films yeah yeah uh granted narrative films they'll you know they'll get into the millions but they're few and far between I when see. they do, you yeah. know, there's a handful of them still, maybe two handfuls, whereas I can at least count 15 to 25 documentaries yeah. that have raised a hundred thousand or more. And yes, it's just people want those real stories. And I think knowing for backers, especially knowing that it's a real story, I think there's real people behind the making of this real story. Mm. And there's there's this idea that you're going to learn something yeah. that you can take with you. Yes. We learn something from watching, you know, The Shape of Water and on and, and all these great narrative films that have that have done really well. Yeah. You know, whether they're Hollywood or indie, it doesn't matter. We learn something, but, you know, we're, we're not going to take it with us. We're going to take it to the dinner table. We're going to have a little quick discussion about the Avengers, and then we're going to move on with our day.
0: Yeah, right, you know, right.
1: It has that power to last and teach you something about being a human being.
0: Yeah, spot on we're talking about crowdfunding platforms here and we had Emily best of seed and spark on the program, nice. uh, last year. And we've also done some, I've done some segments on Kickstarter, uh, since that's been my big experience in crowdfunding is, is a few, uh, uh, a few runs on, on Kickstarter uh, mm. are Indiegogo Kickstarter and seed and spark. Are those the big three crowdfunding platforms for filmmakers or am I missing any that, that maybe we should know about?
1: No, that's the uh, those are still the big three. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I, I would say, yeah, like you're you're kind of not going to go wrong with with either with any of them. Um, it's just it comes down to like what they offer yeah. that you can make use of. And I'm, I'm really talking about the tools that they offer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had Emily on. I mean, she's she's great. I've done a number of panels with her and she's like one of my favorite people in the crowdfunding world. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, between us, I don't have that many favorite people in the crowdfunding world yeah. because it's oversaturated and, and there's a lot of like, you know, experts and, you know, even platforms. Um, but she's one of the, one of the few that truly knows and and believes in, in the power of indie film mm. and e-funding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, always have great things to say about her and she, her platform, uh, seed and spark definitely has that nice tool where you can have uh you know, you have the 80% green light, which yeah. is great. You don't have to hit, hundred percent. But if you only get 20% you, and you, you're, you know, if you're on Indiegogo, say, then you walk away with 20%, but you might not be able to make the film now. Totally. You've got to find the rest of that money. So now you're in a whole puddle of mud just to like figure out the next step. Whereas at least, you know, seed and spark has understood, Hey, if you get 80%, that's, that's as good as a yeah. hundred. And you're probably going to hit that hundred, but they also have the great tool of the, um, I don't know if they still call it the wedding registry, but like where, you know, you can put like, Hey, I need a red camera. And somebody can actually say, I'll donate my red camera to you. And it adds into the amount raised, which is great. You know, but it's like really great tools that, that, that seed and spark has Kickstarter has a few decent tools as well. But again, I always tell people, look, if you got to do, if you can't work with, Ten dollars less than your goal, yeah. Then you got to go Kickstarter because then you got no, there's no risks. You know, there's very, very little risk. And if you're like me, a filmmaker who I can make a mil- a movie for twenty five thousand, but I can make the same movie, yeah, for fifteen thousand. Yeah. I just got to borrow steal a bit more. Then Indiegogo is your platform. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you're gonna keep whatever you raise. And, and again, you don't get penalized for sometimes setting too high a goal because you misjudged things, your own network. That's right. (laughs) Like that. I mean, you shouldn't be penalized for it necessarily, you know?
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about misjudging things. Mm. I'd love to hear, you know, can you give us a two, maybe two or three common mistakes that maybe a doc filmmaker, maybe doc filmmakers who this is their first time they run a campaign, Maybe what are two or three mistakes that, that, that you see come across that are common that, that don't have to, that don't
1: have to happen. Totally. Um, my, one of my favorite topics to talk about, honestly, mm. um, because the, cause they're still getting made, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know? um and, and it's a tough thing, you know, because we get close to our projects and, and we're like, Oh no, that's not me. That's, that's definitely not me. No, it's all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, You know, without numbering them in order, because they change, the order changes. One of the biggest mistakes, especially for doc filmmakers, is that you have to have an audience. And this goes for any filmmaker, any artist doing anything in the creative field today. You are responsible now for building your own audience. Even when you go and get money from a, you know, you get a grant money, you get all this other stuff... One of those questions on those forms is usually, "What is your social networks? What are you? What, are, what is your audience like? What are you bringing mm. to the table mm. to make this quote a good investment for people? Mm. Right? Even though it's not an investment, they're not getting any money out of you, but they are getting pride. They're, they they want to give to a movie that's going to be successful as a campaign and as a film. Yeah. So. Number one is from the get go, the minute you have this idea for a documentary film, you've got to start talking about it. You've got to start building your audience and making sure you are engaging with people in real life, hashtag IRL. Totally. And on social media, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook uh, groups or pages, whether it's uh, Twitter, you know, even though Twitter's, you know, Twitter's got a great support indie film community. So as long as you're tapping into that, there's there's a lot of great sharing that goes on there. But it's just all about talking about your your project long before you actually crowdfund for it. Mm, mm, mm. Um and, and honestly, Chris, that's that's the hardest thing to do because yeah. it's hard enough to talk about yourselves, but now you gotta talk about this project that you don't really have anything you can share with it mm, yet. Mm. But you have to tell people about it. Now, documentary filmmakers, I will say, they might have it a little bit easier because, yes, you have to be a filmmaker when you're making a doc, but you also have to kind of be a somewhat expert in whatever field you're making this documentary about. Yeah. And that lends itself to easily building out a bigger audience or at least a bigger community by asking questions.
0: Totally. And I think that that's part of the reason why earlier I was saying perhaps doc filmmakers seem to be a bit more successful um, than the narrative ones in terms of crowdfunding. And that's a reason I I would I would think is I would point to. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, there's just it it lends itself to more conversations that organically let people know what you're doing. Mm. And it's great. So that's, that's one big, big mistake. Another big mistake, it it always comes down to setting too high a goal. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, I, I've worked with people that raised $10,000 for a doc and I've worked with people that have raised $2 million. It's, it's, you have to just know what you're bringing to the table. That's the key question you have to ask the idea alone is just not enough these days. Because now we have backers that have become extremely savvy. They have money. They're willing to spend that money, but they get hit up all the time. Mm. So we now have to prove to them, we have to show to them that our film is not just objectively or subjectively better, but it's going to make a change. It's going to impact a, a movement it's ah. going to do something grander mm. so that they can say i was a part of this movement not just this documentary yeah. but this movement now the alternative to that is you know again you have a you have a movie um i'm, I'm citing deep space nine documentary uh what we left behind only because they, they recently launched their trailer right. for it and i'm a, I'm a born again trekkie actor <laughs> star trek shows um, and sorry, man,
0: I'm a doctor who guy, but that's fine. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no, we're, in, we're in the, we're in the zone, but track um, over star Wars. I hope I didn't offend too yeah. many people. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, we just lost like 10 people. No, just kidding. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, um, but, but it's a, it's a kind of, it was a great experience. Like they raised over, like, I think it was like $600,000. Um, but again, they're bringing not only the audience for deep space nine, which when you really look back, that show was not. Did not have the popularity of The Next Generation, the mm. original series. Yeah, right, right. It was right. like the, the bastard child of yeah. Star Trek for a while yeah. because it pushed a lot of envelopes. But it had a cult following beneath the cult Very following. Very strong stuff. Star-
0: yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: And they came to the plate because the filmmakers also had access to all the original actors. They had access to CBS that was allowing them to create merchandise that was officially licensed. Oh, wow. I mean, they did their homework. It took them a very long time, but they did all their homework to make sure they were giving the fans more than what they could ask for so that they could get this this film finished. Yeah. And again, that's on the higher spectrum, but we all whether we're making a $5,000 or $10,000 documentary to a $50,000 one, yeah. we all have that capacity. We just have to put in that work to find out what we can do to give our audience what we need and then based on that, we can set the goal that's appropriate. The goal typically is not going to be the full budget. Mm. It can be, but crowdfunding was originally in- intended to, me, to be a chunk of the funding you need because the more important aspect of crowdfunding is engaging the crowd there so that is. you have audience later.
0: There it is, absolutely. And let's move right into that. I, you know, you, yeah. you've in that sentence alone answers my question uh, that I'll ask you now, but obviously we can uh, dive a bit deeper into that, which is outside of the obvious of raising funding, what are some ways crowdfunding helps the doc filmmaker?
1: Yeah, yep. Uh, yep. Like I said, funding is that byproduct, you know, it, it's, it's all about the audience today. And it, and it's all, even if, even when you look at what's getting distribution and, and things like that, and it, say you want distribution, it's a lot easier to, to be like those old, you know, Verizon commercials, right? Even though the guy went to, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> he jumped company, over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, with the robots, but, um, I watch way too much TV, I think, um, to know all these commercials, but the, um, you know, the old Verizon commercial where you're bringing the network with you, yeah. you know, like that's what distributors are looking for. That's what people want. They want the good idea, yeah. but a good idea, they're all over the place. An idea is nothing unless you expand it mm. to an audience that you've got control of. And if you bring that audience with you, that's what crowdfunding can do. It opens up that audience basically and and it's it's a little it's a little better than a facebook audience for example yeah. right like you can go on a facebook page and there's you know 5000 people who like the page that's great my question is how many of those 5000 are going to put up 10 bucks a piece yes yes I guarantee it's going to be about 10% tops right right that's your audience that 10% because the the audience is the ones that are willing to pay for the creation of artwork. Yeah, yeah. And documentary film is artwork. Film is artwork in general. So that's that shows a, distri- a d- distributor that they can bank on though that audience to buy whatever they're going to pedal that they're going to make money off of uh on on the filmmaker. You know what I mean? Bingo.
0: Absolutely. So I think, absolutely.
1: and it, and again distribution is still that that big, you know, un- undiscovered country, you know, of how we crack it because yes it it does open us up to a much wider audience but we now have to kind of bring some of it to show that hey we're popular you know we're the popular kids and if you just believe in us and distribute this film we'll be able to get more people into this this clique of ours and and liking this movie. And that that's what uh all those all those studios and distributors wanna see now. They wanna see there's an audience. Pre pre built in and and not just because it's a superhero
0: film well and it's one of the more sort of beautiful things that came out of our time in long beach where we ran our kickstarter campaign was yes of course we were able to raise some money monies directly from the the cambodian american populace that's located down there but because it's the biggest poppy uh refugee population uh cambodian refugee population in the u.s Mm. it also meant that it brought a big awareness to our project and as we you know it, it went above and beyond all expectations in terms of the awareness and every you know it was amazing how many people started to certainly follow us on on the social media platforms how many emails started coming in with people querying about about our film subject or saying that you know a, a, we received many emails even back then for people that, that said you know hey if you're doing a film about this guy you know i i, I my you know my uncle lives in cambodia you should look him up he's got some information for you and and it went yes. one you know chain after another and that was all all directly tied to running the crowdfunding
1: campaign there is no doubt absolutely yeah that that totally makes sense to me like and 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 then again those those people become serious evangelists for your film like, yes. right there you yes got, you've got team members you know you've got you know, like, like what I call in my book, the C team, right? The crowd team, they're, they're backers, but they're willing to do more. Mm. And sometimes they're not even backers, but they're willing to do anything because they might not be able to put in some money, but they've got leads. They've got people that you should talk to and interview like that right there. That's the true power of, of crowdfunding. What, what, what's called crowdsourcing really, you know, which is like the big brother that without crowdfund, without crowdsourcing, crowdfunding would not even exist today.
0: Well and again this is this is all a part of engagement right and and yep. and maybe you can share a couple of tips with us John as as we you know get towards the latter part of this program if you have a couple of tips in terms of maybe
1: engage audience engagement or crowdsourcing I'd love to hear it Totally first tip comment on your social media posts hmm. whether it's on Twitter whether it's on Instagram if somebody is taking the time to write a not one of those generic ones that you obviously know it's a bot you know it says awesome, heart, 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 15, you know, little thing. <laughs> yeah. you can tell that somebody, you know, who, who just got paid to, to, to click that. Um, but, or, or it's one of those communities, but I'm talking real people that they're, they're taking the time to say like, Hey, I really appreciated this comment back. Say, thank you. We really appreciate your time. Let them know that you appreciate them because yes, if, if you don't do that, then you're just promoting, you're just sharing and that's fine. That's step one. But step two to mm. really get deep into it is to to create the conversations that people want to have yeah. and be a part of those conversations, even if you don't create them, be a part of those conversations. Mm. So, again, you're doing a documentary on mental health and you're in all these Facebook groups. The one thing you need to be doing as the film is putting your opinions and your ideas and good articles into all of those conversations that are happening so that these people see you and say, wow, this person really knows their stuff. Let me let me like this person. Oh, it's a film. Oh, that's amazing. Now, all of a sudden, you start building that audience because you're putting out quality. And that's what people want. So that's that's honestly, number one, especially with social media, because it is getting very, very saturated and you know, we just it's harder and harder to to stand out. Yeah. But well, as why- you see
0: said earlier, Twitter isn't what it once was. I think you and I were both big fans of Twitter and it, it just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just not it's not like it was.
1: <laughs> yep. But it does leave room to go beneath the surface now. It you does. Know, like it all, d- all that surface is, you know, the the quick quick comments and this and that, but there are deep discussions. It's just finding them, engaging in them and creating them. And that's the engagement level. I never care if somebody has 5 million followers. Um, it's like, well, how many do you actually talk to? Cause uh, those are the ones you could probably bank on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the number one uh, tip. And, and the only, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of this, isn't a social media tip, um, mm. as much as it's just like a, a general tip about, just being a human being is go get out, go, go to events, meet people in real life that this is something that's, that we kind of sometimes forget about. Yeah, don't go with a card that has your crowdfunding campaign information. (laughs) Don't, don't give a person your card the minute you, you meet them, (laughs) you know, because then it's like, all right, you're not in this for the right reason, go home, you know? You gotta go for the sake of being around other creatives maybe possibly helping some other people down the line because you never know who's going to want to help you down the line on your project. It's back and forth, but it's a more altruistic back and forth than than exists, say, in Hollywood, right? Where it's like, yeah, it's a back and forth as long as you're providing monetary value to me at some point. This is something different. It's something uh, very special to the indie film community and, and especially in the doc community. I've been to a few uh, documentary film fest. One of my favorites is Sheffield Doc Fest. Oh, yeah,
0: I love Sheffield.
1: I mean, they're just that, that community in particular, this community is, is something extra special. Like I never saw that kind of support. Like I would see the same faces at other people's screenings, every screening I would go mm. and they have a film playing, but they, they're going to this person, to this person, and they're not expecting other people to constantly go to theirs when they have it, but they're just, they, they, they want to be a part of the, 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 the group, yeah, the, the
0: conversation and the, the community. Well, yeah,
1: Exactly and i don't see that narrative film as much as 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 in documentary film it's a beautiful thing we have to nurture it so those are two two quick tips i would say one for social one for off social
0: beautiful beautiful john you worked for for years for indiegogo you've run some of yep. the, you've been behind some of the more major Filmmaking, crowdfunding campaigns that have been out there. Of course, your book, "Crowdfunding for Filmmakers: The Way to a Successful Film Campaign." John, as we wrap up this conversation, what if anything is one thing that uh, that perhaps I've left out of this conversation that you feel like you know what, Chris, your doc filmmakers need to know this? What if anything would that be?
1: You know, it's 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 a phrase that I you know you probably re- might remember it from my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a phrase that I I kind of go back to a lot. Um, don't solicit, elicit. Oh yeah. Um, and it's kind of been, it's been hitting me recently now, um, because there is a lot of asking for, uh, money. And as you, as you know, I'm, I'm not into the idea of asking for money, mm. uh, because that's not that, that automatically tells me that you're not doing the crowdfunding campaign for the proper reason. Right. You're right. doing it for money. And honestly, if you're doing it for the money, Take the time, write the grant proposals. Totally. Go after real investors because it's gonna be so much easier than crowdfunding.
0: Crowdfunding is a nine to five job, people. It is nine (laughs) to
1: five on top of the nine to five on top of the side hustle. It is. Like you you just you know, if you want money, go and find it somewhere else. If you want that audience, and I promise you, you will need that audience then crowdfunding is the right direction to go in, pick a platform, properly set up your campaign to make it engaging and make sure that you are not asking somebody for money, but you are inviting them to be a part of this film and this process. That's what backers truly want.
0: We've been speaking with John Trigonis the veritable guru of crowdfunding, certainly for filmmakers, and in our case, doc filmmakers. His book, uh, and I'll say I'll use the word veritable Bible as well, his book is Crowdfunding for <laughs> Filmmakers, The Way to a Successful Film Campaign. And I'm going to put links, obviously, up to the book, but I'll put links up to some of the, um, some of the crowdfunding campaign examples that he has run, as well as some of the uh, crowdfunding platforms we've talked about. And John, you do some consulting as well now, don't you?
1: Yep, absolutely. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm no longer with Indiegogo. So I, uh, I'm doing everything kind of freelance, promote my book on the side. So yeah. Um, and I have a website, uh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm tweaking right now, but it's thejohntragonis.com. Uh, and that has like, you know, any, my consulting rates. It also has my films and, uh, you know, campaigns that I've worked on and stuff like that. So it's basically everything you need to know about me is on that site.
0: John, thank you so much for coming on to the program. Been wanting to have this conversation for a while, and uh, it's been a delight. So thank you for coming on to the Documentary Life, man.
1: Yeah, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully everybody takes some good stuff out of this.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, man.